0: As women of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, we live in countries all around the world, speak hundreds of languages, encounter unique challenges, as well as difficulties we can all relate to. We certainly live in a world that is constantly changing, but we have one thing in common. We are Latter-day Saint women. We are doing our best to follow the teachings of Jesus Christ. Today we're going to discuss an address given by former General Relief Society President Belle Spafford at a BYU devotional in 1975 called Latter-day Saint Women in Today's Changing World. Hello and welcome to the Latter-day Saint Women podcast, where we share the inspiring stories and teachings of women of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. I'm Shaylin Back, and I'm here with Carly Guyman. We're your co-hosts.
1: Thanks for joining us today. As a reminder, in this season of the Latter-day Saint Women podcast, we are learning from the lives and teachings of women featured in the book, At the Pulpit, which is a church publication available online and in the Gospel Library app. We would love to hear your comments and ideas for this podcast, so please send your feedback to podcast at And To discuss Belle Spafford's life and her talk, we are very excited to welcome Lisa Olson-Tate to the podcast today. Hi, Lisa. Hi there. Thanks for being here. Glad to be. <laughs> um, by way of introduction, Lisa Olson Tate is a historian and writer specializing in women's history and early twentieth-century history at the Church History Library. She serves as an editor and consultant on saints and has worked on many web published projects in the department. She is currently working on a history of the Young Women's Organization. And Lisa has a PhD from the University of Houston and taught Doctrine and Covenants classes at BYU before coming to the Church History Department. She has four children, including a special needs daughter. Lisa, we we know you're involved in a lot of really interesting projects in the Church History Department, and we mentioned you're working on the history of the Young Women's Organization. Would you like to share more about that project or some other projects that, (laughs) that you are working on right now?
2: Well, the History of the Young Women Project has been going on for a few years. It's a really big undertaking because it's never been done before. And so we're doing a lot of what we call spade work where we're just down in the local minutes and records and there's just so many sources to comb through and to figure out what's the story and and how can we tell it in a way that'll be interesting and relevant for us today. That's such an exciting project. Thank you so much for sharing. We're, yeah, we're looking excited to, to that. Yeah, we're, we're excited, excited to, to do that. it too.
0: Yeah, it's a lot of fun. So Lisa and Carly, let's talk about Belle Spafford. Lisa, will you introduce us to Belle Spafford?
2: Well, Belle Spafford, and Belle is short for Isabella. That was her her full first name. She was named for her grandmother who was a convert who emigrated from Scotland. She was born in 1895 and her mother was widowed before she was born. She was the youngest of, I think, seven siblings, but her mother was just really a force to be reckoned with and a really strong influence in her life. Belle went to high school, which was a new thing for women of her generation, and really in men too. High school was just developing at this time, and so She was one of the first generations to go to high school and then to college. She went to the University of Utah and did what was called the normal course, and that was what they called teacher training at that time. So she trained to be a teacher. She also did some work at BYU in their teacher training school as well. She was married in 1921. She had two children, and she worked for some time teaching what they called remedial classes, which was what we would call special ed now. So she worked with special needs children, and that gave her a lifelong interest in social work. She also later studied social work at the University of Utah, and she was known for taking courses when she would receive a new assignment. She took, for example, when she became editor of the Relief Society magazine, she took classes in English composition, as they called it at the time, to help her learn to write better and to edit better. And she also took classes in Western history to help her when she was on a committee um, dealing with the history of the church. So she always studied. She Everyone who knew her knew that she had a nine o'clock study hour in the evening. So don't call her. Don't come over. She was reading her books, studying the scriptures, but also studying and doing homework and really improving herself that way. And that was Probably something that life, she did throughout her life.
1: Lifelong commitment.
0: Yeah, I need to do that.
1: (laughs) Don't call me at nine (laughs) o'clock. So something I think that's just incredible about Belle Spafford that I think many members of the church would be surprised about was that she was the General Relief Society president
2: for 29 years. Yeah. Belle Spafford actually joined the, the General Relief Society leadership in 1935, 10 years before she became president. So she was actually involved for... You know, almost 40 years, and then 30, 29 of that as the president. Interestingly enough, if we back up a little bit, she had to be converted to Relief Society. When she was a young younger woman, she taught Sunday school. She was her ward, MIA president, as they called it at the time, Young Ladies Organization. And after she was married, the bishop of her board called her to serve in Relief Society, I think as a counselor in the presidency, And her initial response was, are you kidding me? That Relief Society is for old women. That's not my thing. And she really pushed back against it. And the bishop had to come to her a couple of different times to say, you know, I keep praying about it. I keep thinking about it. And I really think this is what you need to do. And finally, she said, well, okay. Um, There were some other experiences that went into it, but she, she agreed to serve. And she later said that One of the real defining experiences for her in becoming converted to Relief Society happened during the Depression in the 1930s when the Relief Society in her ward would do things like collect clothing and bottle fruit and provide food. And she said it just really struck her how some of the finest families in the ward would line up to receive those things and she recognized what Relief Society could do to help people and to alleviate suffering and want and need. And that was a really definitive experience for her in her um, conversion to Relief Society. And once she got in, I think it was characteristic of her that once she became converted and became convinced of something, she went full bore and it wasn't long before her abilities as a Relief Society leader were recognized, and then she was tapped for general service. Some of the notable things that that she did during her tenure in Relief Society leadership, she previously she served as the editor of the Relief Society magazine for a number of years, and of course we don't have that publication anymore, but at the time it was a really important publication for Latter-day Saint women. A lot of women contributed to it, uh, sent in their poetry and and their stories, and and there were reports of what the local relief societies were doing and it's so forth. It a way forth. of connecting women at that time. Yep, a way of connecting. It was a really important channel. And so she serves as General Relief Society president from 1945 to 1974. Right there in the middle of the 20th century at a time of a lot of change and a lot of really important things going on both in the world and in the church. Under her tenure in the Relief Society presidency, one of the major accomplishments was the construction of the Relief Society building right here on the corner of Main Street and North Temple on Temple Square. It's one of the best kept secrets on Temple Square, isn't it? People mm-hmm. don't even know what that beautiful, it's a beautiful building, building is. It's yeah, so peaceful. Yeah,
1: anyone can visit that main yep. floor area. There's yep.
0: kind yep. of actually a museum. It's kind of a museum yeah. and has resources that mm-hmm. I didn't even realize. Beautiful yeah, I wandered in there one day. <laughs> of women leaders.
2: Yep, portraits of all the leaders, and and when you go in and look around at all the beautiful artifacts, many of those were donated by local relief societies specifically for the Relief Society building when the building was built. And they launched a campaign for every woman in the church to contribute $5 towards the building of the building. At this time, that was not uncommon for members to help pay for buildings and and projects in the church. Over a course of a few years, they raised over half a million dollars towards the construction of the building. That didn't all come from those $5 donations, but a lot of it did. If you go to the Church History website, we actually have an exhibit about the history of the Relief Society building and the building of the Relief Society building that's fun to look at. And one of the things in that exhibit is that you can click on a link and see the record books that show every woman who donated toward the building, and they're arranged both by the name of the woman and then also by the local units. And so you can go in there and see if you have any ancestors or relatives. I found mm-hmm. my grandmother, mm-hmm. and I found the members of the ward that I grew up in, you know, some of the who were little old ladies by the time I was growing up. So that's really fun to to click on those links and see. It was dedicated in 1956, and Sister Spafford called the building a symbol of faith, diligence, and devotion of all women. Of course, in the middle of the 20th century, Maybe the most significant development that's happening is just the rapid, massive expansion of the church around the world. And so Sister Spafford is leading the Relief Society at a time of unprecedented growth. And then in the early 1970s, the policy has changed so that rather than Relief Society being something that a woman joins and pays dues to belong to, all women in the church over the age of 18 are automatically enrolled in Relief Society. That's the way it is today, and so we may not realize that it was ever any different. But during that mid-20th century period, women from the ages of 18 into well into their 20s, maybe even over 30, a lot of the times participated in the MIA more than the Relief Society. And so this was a very big change that took place to say, first of all, just in the sheer numbers of women that are part of Relief Society now, and then in this really significant age change. Mm-hmm. And so in the talk, when Sister Spafford talks about how, how we now number over 900,000 women and so forth. She's speaking out of that context of this big change that's recently happened. And they're trying to understand how do we reach out and include the younger women and help them make that transition into Relief Society. And that's something that we still talk a lot about
0: yeah, today. I am going to say
1: you continue hearing about that. Yeah.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Well, and I think the care and concern that she had for including all these new members of different ages and different activity levels. She just really was concerned about women, and she was involved in other community organizations about women. Can you tell us more about her service in the community and even in the nation?
2: Yeah, she was part of a generation of Latter-day Saint women that were very involved in the community and very involved in the larger society and in women's organizations and women's concerns generally. The most significant venue for that was what was called the National Council of Women, and there was also an International Council of Women. And this organization was started in 1888, so in the late 19th century, as a way of bringing different women's groups together, trying to help women have a larger voice, to work together on issues of concern about women, There was emphasis on reform and philanthropy and education, employment, you know, a lot of issues that were important to women at the time. And so as president of the Relief Society, then Bell takes the leading role in participating in those organizations. After several decades of involvement with the Councils of Women, by the middle of the 20th century, A lot of the goals that those original groups had had been met. And a lot of things had changed for women. They're living in a more modern world with a lot more opportunity. And Belle, you can see that in her life, education, employment, and so forth. And also the public image of Latter-day Saints had changed a lot and was a lot more positive by the middle of the 20th century. So after going and meeting with these councils of women, Sister Spafford comes back and talks to President George Albert Smith, who was president of the church at the time, and says, you know, I just don't really know if we need to continue being involved in this anymore. I don't know that it does a lot for us or that we really need it that much. And he says to her, instead of thinking about it that way, you go back and see what you have to offer to these women. As Latter-day Saint women, you have something to offer. So go back and make your voice heard and make your influence felt and be an influence for good in these organizations. And that reoriented her thinking about it. Instead of what can we get, what can we give? And she did continue. And in fact, from 1968 to 1970, she served as president of the National Council of Women and was really highly regarded and respected by the other women in the
0: organization. So let's now talk about some of the themes uh, that we get from this talk that she gave. So she gave it in 1975 after she had been released from this 29 years of service as the General Relief Society president. But she shares an experience from... When she was first called in 1945, and I didn't realize this, but they hadn't had general conference because of World War II for several years. Hadn't been able to meet. They hadn't Mm -hmm. been able to meet. And so this was the first conference that they had, again, in several years. And President George Albert Smith gave this prophecy, and he just said, we're going to see women here come to general conference from, he names these specific countries, he says, Australia, New Zealand, Africa, China, Japan, and elsewhere. And... Bell Spafford was just wondering, oh, could that happen? you know, in my presidency. And she said, even just a few years later, they started noticing that there were a lot more women from other countries And they had a special meeting. And they did a verbal roll call asking people to share where they were from, how they had traveled. And she said there was someone from each of these countries that he had specifically mentioned, except China. But then there's this lady who was from Taiwan. And she was like, actually, my homeland is China. And so it was just an amazing fulfillment of prophecy. I mean, we've talked about this unprecedented worldwide growth of The church and of the relief society organization, and it was just neat that in such a short time it was already apparent. That was actually
2: that conference where she felt like it was fulfilled was actually only three years later. Wow, in 1948, and it's kind of quaint to us now how they talk about that they're coming by airplane, air Mm -hmm. travel, and that's going to be a really big deal. Yeah,
1: it's just amazing that this was not that long ago. You know how much is has changed even since then. It's within
2: the lifetime of some of our parents, some of our grandparents. Mm -hmm. I mean, this Mm -hmm. is within the lifetime of people that we know. Mm -hmm.
0: In relation to this experience, President George Albert Smith says, the message of Mormon women will reach the women of the world when there is a special need for it. And then Bell follows up by saying, I assure you that the message of Mormon women is needed by women in the world today. So again, what is the message of Mormon women? What did you guys take from those experiences and messages?
2: you know, that really made me think a lot. What would it be if we could go into our Relief Societies on Sunday and say, what do you think the message is that we have for the world that we as women can convey? You know, I think there's some fairly obvious maybe Sunday school answers to that because we have a message of the restoration and truth and so forth to offer to the world, but. I think of a a statement that President Kimball made, and Sister Eubank referred to this recently in her talk, about how Latter-day Saint women are different from women in the world in happy ways, and showing the way that the gospel gives us peace and happiness and meaning, gives us a basis for our priorities in life, gives us something to offer just by way of hope. In a world where so many people are discouraged and exhausted and tossed around by a lot of different voices and conflict and uncertainty, if we're anchored in Christ and in our relationship with Him and in our testimonies of the gospel, that gives us something to offer as women. As I thought about this question of, or this idea
1: that we do have a message, I also thought about some remarks Sharon Eubank gave in a talk called, This is a Woman's Church. Yeah. And I think the main message she shared that resonated with me is that we know who we are in the sense that we know where we've come from. We know what we can become. We know who we are and what we are in the eyes of God And that that is such an empowering message and that changes our behavior. It changes how we interact with the world around us and the people around us. And that was what I thought of as, you know, I think it's something we can so easily forget or or assume that other people feel or believe the same way. But it is a pretty unique and empowering message.
0: And so, like you were saying, since we do possess these revealed truths and the words of the prophets and, and we have the gift of the Spirit to be with us always then it, it becomes our duty to uphold these things that we believe and and live them.
1: And something Belle Spafford, I think, emphasizes throughout her message and probably throughout her presidency as the Relief Society is expanding and growing, And I just envision arms kind of outstretching and reaching, you know, women who maybe felt like they weren't a part of Relief Society or like didn't belong one. or didn't really think that they wanted to be in Relief Society. She's opening up her arms and she's saying... Everyone is welcome, and we want everyone, and we need everyone, and everyone belongs.
2: And I think that that's a message that is timeless. When she talks about unfailing measuring rods, I think the most important of those for us is personal revelation, is our ability to be guided by the Spirit in making choices for our lives. And no matter what, you know, she's speaking from a time... When there's a lot of controversy and a lot of questioning going on about women's place in the world and and women's opportunities and um, and that's still happening in a lot of ways and in fact maybe it's we're kind of seeing a resurgence the of,
1: intensifying yeah, again.
2: of that of those kinds of questions and that's to be expected because things run on generational cycles but I think that that unfailing measuring rod remains that the gospel gives us, which is the gift of the Holy Ghost, the ability to seek personal revelation, the ability to make choices for our lives based on that revelation that will be in line with what the Lord wants for us and that will be in line with our highest and truest priorities.
0: I love this because we can be united in in those things. You know, as we receive yeah. personal revelation for our specific lives, we can be united knowing that we have that ability. And it just made me think of an experience. So I served a mission in Kirtland And recently we had an unofficial reunion. We had a get together, a weekend getaway with some of the sisters from our mission. And we video chatted with our visitor center director and his wife. We just called them up at nine o'clock at night on a Saturday and they were available to just chat with us. And this was 10 years later. So I was just thinking, you know, this unique experience of serving a mission together. We have that shared experience then and then now 10 years later, many of us, we can share our experiences. We have similar experiences in education and in marriage and in motherhood and in health challenges and things with our parents and siblings. And it was just such a neat experience to then hear our visitor center director say, you have no idea what kind of contributions you're making. I mean, we thought that was a specific relationship to the mission. You know, our mission, we we felt yeah. like we were contributing and, and growing. And then now, looking back over 10 years, it's just like as Latter-day State women, we have been given so many tools that you talked about and so many opportunities to contribute in education, in our professions, in our families and personal lives. And it was just kind of an amazing experience and mm. something that was inspiring to me. And I think that's the most
2: important thing for us to be unified on as Sisters in the Gospel is that bedrock commitment and testimony that we have, the faith that we share, and then love and respect for each other and understanding that we're all on our own paths and that the Spirit is guiding us and having respect for the way that as individuals we make our choices based on the guidance that we receive from the Spirit. That's a unifying thing rather than having some kind of a checklist of what a woman is supposed to do or supposed to be, and then using that as a beating stick on each other. Mm -hmm. And we're so much better off if we can be unified over that principle Mm -hmm. of revelation.
1: Well, and I think that this message can give us confidence, or that we should have more confidence in the revelation that we've received for our own lives and to go out and to live that life that we've been guided to and led to and are choosing to lead, having confidence with that. And she speaks of holding a light up on a hill and not hiding it. And that, I think, goes hand in hand with respecting others for their choices, the way they've decided to, or or receiving guidance for how to live their life. And as we all do that, that there is power in women in the church living lives guided
2: by the Spirit. Yeah, absolutely. And
0: Belle Spafford, she does say that as women, and especially Latter-day Saint women, we owe it to ourselves to develop our full potential and increase our talents and skills and our mental capacities and really give the world the best that we have. So as listeners, we hope that's what you're taking away from this message today. In conclusion, we want to leave you with this final quote from Belle Spafford. She says,
2: they can enable women of the world to determine what should receive priorities in their lives. Latter-day Saint women have at their command the firm and infallible guidelines that lead toward the full development and total usefulness of womankind
0: thank you lisa for sharing your insights and experiences with thank us thank you so much lisa i feel like thank we you. just got this wealth of
1: of really interesting information thank you well, we could talk for a long time for sure yes.
0: <laughs> and thank you to each of you listening to this episode of the latter-day saint women podcast please take a moment to leave us a rating or review and if you liked what you heard today share with your friends and family
1: And as a reminder, At the Pulpit, the book that this talk is included in, is available in its entirety on the Gospel Library app and online at churchhistorianspress.org. And we invite you, our listeners, to use At the Pulpit. Become familiar with it, read it um, as you study, speak, teach, and lead in the gospel. And until next time, I'm Carly Guyman And I'm Shailen Back. Thank you for listening.